What if your faith could become more than just a story? What if your faith could be as gentle as a dove and as wise as a serpent? What if your faith could become as bold as a lion? What if your faith could become lethal? My name is Blake Harris, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Michael Knight. And here on the Lethal Faith Podcast, we're here to give your faith some lethality. Well, we are back, Uh, Michael. It's been a couple weeks since we recorded, uh, but we're back and we're excited uh, we're going to be talking and really kind of diving into some New Testament things today. Uh, we're we're kind of still covering the book, Is Atheism Dead? by Eric Metaxas. Uh, and in it, he talks about, is atheism dead because of the evidence of archaeology? Uh, and Rabbi Dr. Nelson, I can't say his name. Gluck. said, it may be stated categorically that no archaeology archaeological discovery has ever controverted a biblical reference, which is absolutely true. That is so important for Lethal Faith families to understand because nowhere at no time in any generation has an archaeologist dug up something that controverted a biblical passage. There are things that are dug up that may give us questions, um, but in the long run, when it was all said and done, the Bible has come out to be true over and over again. So, Blake, I've got a question for you. We're getting ready to launch Lethal Faith Volume 2, The New Testament. It's coming out this Easter. be available on Amazon. Check it out and get a copy. Buy a copy for your friend. Help us to get the word out because we're restoring biblical authority at the Never Before Project. And Lethal Faith is one of the ways in which we do so. So, with that being said, how many people can you confirm in the New Testament as being real? Now, in the Old Testament, we've talked about before, there was over 53. But in the New Testament, what people don't understand is nobody really cared about a hippie running around with 12 guys. That's right. It was normal. (laughs) And it was nothing spectacular. Because everybody, uh, there was lots of rabbis with lots of disciples. It was only after he claimed to have been resurrected from the dead that the powers of Rome and the powers of the Herodian family started taking notice of him. And then they begin to write about him. So how many people do you think we can confirm in the New Testament, Blake? In the New Testament, how many people do I think we can confirm? Uh, I don't know, 75, 80? Well, we'll find out. (laughs) People in the New Testament, let's give you one case for Easter, Caiaphas. Now, he was the high priest, Matthew 26 and 4, Mark 11, or 14 and 53, and Luke 22 mentions him. As a matter of fact, what they think they have found, they used to think that they knew where the home of Caiaphas was at. But Caiaphas served as a high priest around A.D. 18 to A.D. 36, and he was the son-in-law of Annas, a member of the tribe of Levi, and he was a devout Sadducee. He's mentioned directly by Josephus, and one of the things that you have to understand about when you engage in the New Testament is whether Josephus mentioned. Now, Josephus 
uh, is a famous Jewish historian. Yes. He necessarily isn't always right, mm-hmm. but he is more right than wrong yeah. and mostly right. Yeah, I've, I've read tons of the writings of Josephus, and he brings to light a lot of the historical accuracy of what the Bible talks about. So Josephus, when Josephus mentions a person, it adds validity to their reality in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, when Josephus mentions Joseph, son of Caiaphas, his home is mentioned in multiple secondary sources. Um, Bordeaux Pilgrim in AD 333 said, where the house of Caiaphas the priest was, Surreal in AD 340, uh, Theodosius in AD 530, the monk Epiphanius, and I think I probably just butchered his name, <laughs> AD 700, all point to a specific house that early people in Christianity and in the world, first century, knew was the house of Caiaphas. It seemed to be a well-known historical fact, but yet today, Blake, people are arguing about whether or not it's really his home. And they think they have just found his home right near the Temple Mount. Now, now why are they arguing about why they think it may not be his home? Because just like in the garden uh, uh, tomb of Jesus, uh, people say this was a garden. It has something that looks like uh, Golgotha, a hill mm-hmm. that looks like a skull. But yet there's another place it's the same way with the shepherd's field. There's one or two that are the most likely places. And history is actually changing a lot of that, especially like the tomb of Christ. It's pretty much, you can't say definitive in history, but right. as definitive as you can get where the church of the Holy Sepulchre at is most certainly the tomb of Jesus Christ. Right. Okay. The other place is a nice place to take communion, <laughs> and you should go there too. So just like that, Blake, there were other places that said, this is the home of Caiaphas. And if you'd went to the Holy Lands the last 50 years, they would have taken you to this place that they called the house of Caiaphas and even showed you a post where it was a whipping post. Wow. But nowadays, that's a little different. So let's start out what we know about Caiaphas. Yeah, so we also, we know that we have the ossuary of Caiaphas, the high priest, of course. In 1990, while construction workers were working on the development of a new water theme park, construction work, workers uh, uncovered the tomb of the family of Caiaphas. This man referred to the name by Matthew, Luke, and John was buried in an ossuary uh, along with his family. Archaeologists have... Uh, well, I lost my place. <laughs> so, archaeologists have even found the ossuary of Miriam, his granddaughter, along with two infants, two teenage boys, a woman, and a man in his 60s. Now, you think about it. We have the bone box of Caiaphas, which is an ossuary. It's where you buried people. What you did is you laid them in a tomb. After the flesh rotted away, you would take the bones and put them in a bone box, an ossuary. That's right, uh, which seems really weird, but, you know. <laughs> uh, the man in his 60s is thought to be the remains of Caiaphas himself. Written on the ossuary were the words, Joseph, son of Caiaphas. Uh, it's very fascinating to think we probably have the very bones and the grave of the one who basically put to death the one who defeated death, hell, and the grave. So that's uh, pretty fascinating. Yeah, that's exciting to me. So we have historically uh, definitive information, pretty definitive. I can't use that word in history. Um, 
as definitive as you're going to get. The ossuary dating to the first century. Um, actually, when they dug up the ossuary of Caiaphas and they found it, they found a coin from the time of Herod Agrippa, uh, which was found in one of the ossuaries. And so what that does, and one of the things, you know, I've never really been fascinated with coins. I yeah. collect a couple of them. I'm actually going to buy a bunch of them right now. <laughs> uh, but coins actually confirm the scripture, especially in the New Testament, in amazing ways. I mean, it's unbelievable how coins are used. So let's take this case, Blake. Mm -hmm. Here you have a guy named Caiaphas, and if Caiaphas is fake, then Jesus is fake, maybe. If Caiaphas is real, and we know that he's real, we've got his bone box, for Pete's sakes, with his name written on it, then how much more is the man he put to death? A real human being. But not only that, we can go deeper, Blake, and we can realize that if we found a coin, from Herod of Agrippa, which is part of the Herodian dynasties, dated around 42 to 43 AD, it places the ossuary of Caiaphas in the right time at the right place because if there was a another type of coin with a different Herod there, mm-hmm. it possibly could be misdated. Oh, oh yeah. See, that, coins. <laughs> Don't put us in the right time. That's right. Well, what about a lady named Lydia? Acts 13 and 15, 17 and 4, 12, 16 and 14 talks about this lady. She was considered to be the woman of purple. Now, what's so interesting, Blake, is that if you sold purple mm-hmm. in the first century, homeboy was rich. Homegirl, in this case. <laughs> she was rich, yeah. filthy rich. So how do we know that? Number one, we know that Lydia... Um, was uh, from Theratyra, one of the seven churches of Asia Minor, mm-hmm. and that it was a production guild for the color purple. We know that Pliny the Younger, uh, the Roman emperor or governor of Bethania, uh, Bethania uh, in the first century wrote the frantic passion for purple, that purple was a big deal, and that we know Lydia was a seller of purple. As a matter of fact, she's described as a dealer with, which designates in the Greek someone who bought or sold goods. In Acts 16 and 14, it re- reveals that Lydia was from Theratyra, which was, uh, were many trade guilds, including wool, linen, baking, slaves, leather, bronze, pottery, and dyes were um, major uh, industrial uh, parts of the e- economy. So Theratyra purple was made from a matter root, which was less expensive and extremely profitable. What's so amazing about these things is that while we have uh, Caiaphas and we have pictures of uh, a proof of Caiaphas's house with the mosaics on his floor, we have a, uh, a picture of the coin dating to the time of Caiaphas from Herod Agrippa. We have his ossuary with his name on it. We have Lydia, and we are finding shells and the concept of purple where it, where it dyes made from the first century, that still have the color purple on it. Uh, that's pretty cool, because I can't get my jeans to stay the same color. <laughs> <laughs> we found the Church of Theratyra, there in, in Theratyra, and um, it's, it's pretty interesting. So one of the next people that we uh, can prove, if you look at Acts 5.34 and Acts 39 and Acts 22, is uh, Gamelia the Elder. Yep, uh, Gamaliel's grandfather was famous and revered by the Jewish people. Gamaliel, the elder, was a tutor to the apostle Paul and a member of the Sanhedrin. 
the 71 people who tried Jesus, of course, uh, the word Sanhedrin means uh, sitting together. He stood up and attested that they should not worry about Jesus. If he was not God, then nothing would come of him. His presence attested to Josephus' uh, uh, histories and in the Jewish uh, Mishnah. So here's another guy that is involved in the passion of Christ, the crucifixion of Jesus, and we can prove to a reasonable doubt that he really existed because Josephus says he did, and so does the Jewish Mishnah itself. Um, and when you look at that, we have found um, different things dating back towards the time of Gamaliel the Elder, which is interesting. You know, one of the things that fascinated me the most in, most in writing uh, Lethal Faith 2, it was what's available about John the Baptist. Yeah, you know, I remember you telling me about this, uh, and you were just beginning to tell me some of the things that they had found about John the Baptist, and and John the Baptist to me is one of the most fascinating figures in, in the Bible. Number one, he, they the Bible specifically calls him a man, right? <laughs> and then he says that he eats locusts and honey, lives out in the wilderness, and basically just wears animal skin. I mean, fascinating. Like, if I wanted to be a man, I want to be John the Baptist. Yeah. yeah. Well, Matthew 3 mentions him, Matthew 11, Matthew 14, Matthew 6, 23, John one um, twenty six mentions him. And there are so many secondary sources, Blake, uh, speaking of Gamaliel the Elder as a real human being, from Flavius Josephus to the Jewish Mishnah, the Babylonian Talmud, and even the writings of Gal, uh, uh, Gamaliel, the elder himself, writes about John the Baptist. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's really awesome, you know. And uh, wasn't it you who was telling me like there was a coin or something about John the Baptist? Like we could relate something. Oh, back? there's more than that. Yeah. As a matter of fact, if you go to the Materius Palace of King Herod of Antipas, uh, where John was beheaded, they have recently found the dancing floor. Yes. that uh, Herod's daughter was dancing on when she asked for the head of John the Baptist. Yeah, that's a really cool piece of history. Uh, we have a floor that they danced on. Um, it's kind of morbid, too, because we think this woman asked for the head of John the Baptist while she's dancing on this floor. Uh, but, they, but they did some crazy stuff back then. It was the palace of Herod Antipas, and uh, we have... Um, we found that palace, and recently they have actually found the dance floor in that palace. Yeah. I'm showing Blake a picture of it right now. And then also on that palace, um, we have found uh, where, I mean, the, like the dance floor itself. Something as simple as a dance floor and as amazing as a dance floor not only proves John the Baptist, but it proves Herod Antipas, and it proves Salome, the stepdaughter yeah. of Herod Antipas, and uh, the, the, even the story of Herod convincing Herodias to leave her husband in a union John the Baptist firmly denounced that greatly angered Herod Antipas and his new wife. This is why his stepdaughter asked for his head on a platter, and it's one of the few archaeological sites that's been reassembling using the original architectural elements. It was discovered in 1980 under six feet of debris, and it lay there for years. And what people need to realize, Blake, is there's so many archaeological sites that confirm the Bible that they know 
where it's at, but they have not. They haven't never got the money or the archaeologists or enough archaeologists to spend time and go dig there. Yeah, that, that's really fascinating. Uh, that they continue to find these things, and they're like, "Well, we got this. We just can't dig it up." You know? Yeah, and there's one piece of evidence, Blake, that confirms Herod Antipas, his wife, his stepdaughter, and John the Baptist all at one time. Yeah, all at one time, we confirm that many people, and uh, and, and we're just getting started. You know, the list goes on and on and on and on. Well, what else do we have about John the Baptist? Uh, we've got the Suba Cave pictures uh, where pilgrims drew graffiti and where John the Baptist was long to believe to have stayed. Um, we've got the... Now let's talk about that for just a all minute. Right, all okay? right. Number one, if you don't remember anything else we teach you about studying the Bible historically, especially from the standpoint of archaeology, is that the early church did not by accident build a church just anywhere. It did not happen. As a matter of fact, they would take relics on purpose, and I know some relics can be disproved and are, but other are being proved as much as possible, yeah. like dating to the first century, dating to a man from the Mediterranean, dating to a man the age of St. Peter, et cetera, et cetera. But the other thing is that the early church made pilgrims were pilgrims, and they pilgrimaged, or pilgrimage. they they acted as pilgrims going to a site that was revered in the Scripture and in the Bible or in, in their history as Christians. Case in point, when they found the tomb of Jesus Christ, the Roman emperor had already made it a, a um, had covered it up, and try to make it a place to another god. And when they tore that down, underneath that was actually the tomb that Helena, Constantine's mother, found as the tomb of Jesus Christ. And so a lot of times you will see where emperors, Roman emperors that were not uh, conducive to Christianity, would take a holy site and they would try to destroy it or try to plant it to uh, another, uh, make a foundation of it being to another god, uh, all kinds of things. And so these early Christians would memorialize these holy sites. And that's what they did at a place called Suba Cave Entrance. Because if you go in there, what you'll find is you will find some pretty interesting stuff. You'll find where pilgrims drew graffiti with John the Baptist on the walls. Yeah. You'll find where the entrance of the cave, uh, you'll see a foot washing stone. Mm-hmm. You will find a mikvah, which is our form of baptism, but it's a little different in Judaism. Uh, it's a place where you wash ceremonially. You'll find graffiti with John the Baptist's head missing. Wow. You'll find a picture of John the Baptist dressed like Blake talked about in camel hair uh, and that stuff. Um, pretty interesting cave. <clears throat> yeah, the, the Suba Cave was first constructed between 500 and 700 B.C., is located near the birthplace of John the Baptist, um, which is in walking distance of, I cannot say that word, Ayin <laughs> Karim, I believe. Uh, the cave contained a pool that flowed from the outside with large uh, 18 steps going down into the cave. So it was obviously not an irrigation system, right, uh, according to Second Kings 3, 16 through 17. Uh, however, it was held a very elaborate water system, 
At the site, they have found pottery dating to the first century. Inside the cave, they have found interesting foot washing stone, which you talked about. Stone was used to anoint the right foot. Um, which I find interesting. Yeah. And they used to do a foot washing and anoint the foot before baptism. That is interesting, yeah. Um, in the, it seems that the cave was used for performing religious rituals. Uh, the archaeological evidence supports the idea of immersion rituals that took place during the time of John the Baptist, the, the Roman period, uh, according to Mark 1, 9. The, the cave is dated by the, very, by the presence of ancient plaster from the Iron Age and throughout the time of King Hezekiah of Judah and appears to have been abandoned during the early Roman period. Uh, those are really fascinating things about that. You know, it, it goes on to say that in 1999, the Suba Cave was discovered by Simon Gibson, a highly respected archaeologist. Inside the cave, he found several pieces of graffiti uh, dating back to the Byzantine, the Byzantine era, right? Uh, which is AD. Uh, 330. 330. Big deal. Yeah. Uh, the time immediately following the exit of the early church fathers who would have met or were taught by eyewitnesses of Jesus and the 12 disciples. Several pieces of the graffiti were etched into the walls using a chisel. The main drawing is that of a shepherd-like character with arms upraised holding a crooked staff wearing a hairy garment that represented the fur of animals. Next to it was a tripod that looked like... Uh, a vessel or a lamb upon it. Jesus called, I'm sorry, John called Jesus the Lamb of God. On the opposite wall is a drawing of the head, which may symbolize John's decapitation. Uh, there's uh, another drawing that is a T shaped staff with streamers on its side representing the Greek style crosses and three individual crosses. That's, so, uh, the that, evidence. That's good, that's good stuff right there. Evidence for this Suba cave having been a place where John the Baptist would have baptized people uh, represents a, a set of coherent features seemingly directing people in faith to Jesus Christ in John the Baptist. It's possible that this graffiti served as a visual aid for early Christian monks who taught and baptized at the site. But at best, it may be a memorial cave in the Byzantine era pointing people to the remembrance of John the Baptist and the rite of baptism. And so there's some wonderful things. Even um, if you go to Bethany beyond the Jordan, which is the Bethany Archaeological Park, site of Jesus' baptism by John, um, what's so interesting is that this location is on the Madaba map. And if you need to know one thing, you need to know what the Madaba map is. The Madaba, Madaba map is a map where the first century or the first couple of century churches, the first 200 years, left us a map of where Christian uh, pilgrim sites were at in special places. And so this baptismal site is on the Madaba map. That's cool. Very cool. Uh, this was, a lot of people believe the original site that's mentioned in John one twenty six, um, And it goes on uh, a long history of uh, this site. I talk more about it in Lethal Faith, Volume 2. Um, but this site today is revered uh, as the Baptismal Archaeological Park and goes for a mile and a half. Jordanian archaeologists have confirmed that the site was in use from the 2nd century B.C. to the 2nd century A.D. So we know that it was in use during the time of the writing of Scripture and specifically the life of John the Baptist. 
And one last thing as we close today. When I heard this, I thought, I don't know. And so I began to really research. Do you realize that there is a high probability they found the bones of John the Baptist? Now that would be absolutely fascinating. In 2010, Kazmir, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce this Russian word, <laughs> discovered what uh, this man discovered what he believes are to be the bones of John the Baptist. He was interested in what DNA analysis could tell us about these bones and even the DNA of Jesus since he and John were cousins. So this archaeologist started out to excavate a 6th century church on the island of uh, S-V-E-T-I-I-V-A-N, John the Baptist. This church had been built on top of a preceding church in the same spot, which is a big deal. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so he scraped through the mud uh, um, of this ancient church, and he stumbled upon a, a stone slab. And underneath this stone slab found a marble box Uh and when a when a church was built during this period it was built on a special place for a special reason so he had uh he had to be connected to some kind of relic just by finding that in the age of the church and so a meter away he found another small box that had an inscription written on it that say may god save you servant thomas to saint john oh Inside the box, he found five bone fragments. Now, archaeologists believe that they used the smaller bone box to carry the relics when they traveled. And this is why the archaeologic, uh, archaeologists believe that they were the bones of John the Bas- ba- Baptist. Now, it's impossible to prove if they found this, but check out the pictures in the New Lethal Faith book, Volume 2. Um, but what we do know is the box contains Greek writings that mentions John the Baptist. Um, what we do know is that um, rigorous tests have been made about this and that there's actually a video of them investigating the bones of John the Baptist. Matter of fact, we give the YouTube link in um, uh, uh, Lethal Faith 2. And so next week we're going to talk about other people in the New Testament that archaeologists have, um, as close as possible, been able to definitively prove we're real people absolutely you know and we've barely even scratched the surface today of people within the new testament i mean we're still man i mean we confirmed what 10 people today already and and, i mean so the the list continues to grow and it always grows uh, in the light of history and time when it comes to archaeology. Uh, so stay tuned with us, guys. Hang in. We're going some places, and uh, you're going to enjoy it immensely. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the podcast today. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and as always, keep it lethal.